Here in Canada, Conservative Member of Parliament for Kitchener Centre Stephen Woodworth has proposed a motion that calls for the forming of a special committee to determine when a human being is formed and, based on that conclusion, what the consequences would be of recognizing a fetus as a human being before it leaves the womb. Critics have called this a roundabout way to reopen the abortion debate. Now, I've said this before, no matter how many people say that this debate is closed in Canada, it's really not. And my kudos to Mr. Woodworth for bringing this up. I mean, it's a good question. This is where the whole abortion argument hinges upon. When does a human being become a person? Personhood is a legal term. I mean, have you ever met a human being who is not a person? So it's a legal term that has to do with a person's rights and responsibilities. But really, it's a philosophical question. Not when does life begin, because biologically we know that it begins at conception, but when does personhood begin? Because if you are not a person, then you may not have the same rights as other humans who may be persons, namely, the right to life. But this brings up a larger issue. What defines personhood? Does it have to do with our cognitive abilities? What does that say about someone with severe developmental disabilities? What about someone who's in a coma? Can you be a person with full rights one day and the next day be hit by a car and be in a coma and then you're not a person? But a week later, you wake up from the coma and then you're a person again? This is the kind of argument that would not go far in any serious court. And while I doubt that Mr. Woodworth's motion will go anywhere, it's very hard for these backbencher motions to get approved in Parliament, good for him for asking the question, and even if the motion fails, at least Parliament would have discussed it for at least two hours. Who says that the abortion debate is closed? I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Today we're joined again by Danny Torquia, Director of Marketing and Development for Salt and Light. He has some public relation tips for those of you working in church organizations. That's going to be in about 20 minutes. And as always, Andrew Santos will introduce us to the Saint of the Week and Sheridan will bring us up to date with what's happening in dioceses across Canada. And Krista Matrenko is right here sitting with me right now. Chris, what's in the headlines? Well, speaking of public relations, the last thing you want in public relations is leaks of sensitive information, but that's happening in the Vatican. We're going to talk about that. Also, there was a very high-profile resignation this week and a very interesting delegation that went to the Vatican, and I'll tell you about that. Absolutely. So details of those stories are coming right up. Now, Chris, do you, do you ever get the feeling when you're at Mass or with the experience of the Church that everybody is just way too serious? Too serious. Too gloomy, sour-faced in church. Um, definitely a little too gloomy and, and unengaged, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that's exactly the question that Father Jim Martin asks in his book that's called Between Heaven and Mirth. He argues that joy, humor, and laughter are at the heart of the spiritual life. 
And uh, so we're going to get a chance to speak with him oh, uh, in the second half hour. And um, we're also going to get a chance to meet a new Catholic band from Calgary. They're called Effects of Grace. They, they are five young men. I actually think that they're all still teenagers. Um, uh, and they have just put out their first album, Life in Color. So we're going to start with them. Here they are with their song, Amazing. that for a dance tune that was effects of grace with amazing we will be speaking with andrew peloso he's the lead singer of effects of grace in the second half of the program but now chris um so uh leaks in the vatican yeah they're calling it vada leaks so <laughs> like WikiLeaks. yes and um what it has been is it's been confidential correspondence related to a number of different issues one of them has been charges of corruption and cronyism and Vatican finances relating to like contracting different jobs that need to be done in the Vatican. Also, um, correspondence related to you know possible loopholes and anti money laundering laws, mm -hmm. and even an anonymous letter about a plot to kill the Pope. That last one 
Um, everyone's disregarding really the contents of the letter, saying that it's really ridiculous, this, this notion. But yet the documents themselves are Vatican documents, and, uh, and no one is, is saying that they're not. Now, Father Federico Lombardi, who is the head of the Vatican Press Office, he, um, uh, he's getting fed up about having to do uh, statement after statement refuting how the press is interpreting some of these documents. And he released a, a written statement to Vatican Radio this week in which uh, he condemned, first of all, the disloyal fashion in which people on the inside of the Vatican have been releasing these documents. It's the only interpretation. But he also condemned uh, also the press in terms of how they're interpreting it and perhaps not doing so in a, in a truthful manner. I mean, often these documents are are related to an ongoing discussion or debate within the Vatican. And so it's it's a discussion that's in progress, and it's not necessarily a, uh, a Vatican position, but maybe the position of one particular party within the Vatican. Sometimes those parties have clearly lost that particular debate in question already. And Father Lombardi is asking for calm, cool heads and much use of reason on behalf of the press and also on behalf of the faithful when we're hearing this news. And, uh, and he also said that the present round of leaks and criticism are a sign that something, is imp something important is in play. The fact that, that people are um, figuring it, that it's so important that, that they want to leak these documents to influence the debate suggests that, you know, there's some very important discussions going on. So right. we took sort of a yeah. slightly positive uh, approach to that. Now, the resignation. Um, there was a resignation this week of a leader of the female, pr female branch of the Legionaries of Christ. And uh, not only the resignation of the leader, but the decision of some 30 members, consecrated, uh, consecrated women members, to split from the movement. Now, we know the story about the Legion. The founder, uh, Father Maciel Maciel, turns out he was a fraud and there was discovered um, to be a, um, that he uh, fathered a, a number of children out of wedlock. Um, also, um, the Vatican... Uh, had an investigation, and there were discovered to be some spiritual and psychological um, ab abuses within the consecrated branch in terms of how it was being run. And um, that was eventually put the, the legionaries and Regnum Christi under the responsibility of Cardinal Velasio de Paulus, um, a Vatican official, although some people say that he is moving too slowly in terms of reforms to the legionaries of Christ. And so now this, this leader of the consecrated women of the Legion um, has resigned. And it turns out that, that, uh, that these 30 consecrated women are basically going to be living out their vo vocations under the authority of local bishops, mm -hmm. which is exactly what happened with, uh, with many of the priests who have left the Legionaries of Christ. They have now become diocesan priests. Right. Now, lastly, uh, Pedro, um, on Monday there was a, a delegation to... Um, from Great Britain to the Vatican, and, and I remember hearing that it was going to be televised by Vatican Television, and I was wondering, why are, why are they televising this? Usually if it's only a Pope's address that's televised. Well, it was uh, ended up being a, a really fascinating address. Uh, the woman's name was Lady Saida Warsi, and she's the party chairman of the Tory party, and uh, she complained about militant secularization uh, that was going on in many countries in Europe, and uh, she says that she complained particularly about of when signs of religion can't be displayed or worn in government buildings, and where we see religion sidelined side and downgraded in the public sphere. And she finds this deeply intolerant, and it demonstrates 
similar traits to totalitarian regimes. That's what she said. Now, what's interesting is that um, is that she is the first female Muslim to serve as, as a minister in the British government, and yet she she speaks very positively about the Christian foundations of Europe, and she says you cannot and should not extract these Christian foundations from the evolution of our nations any more than you should or could erase the spires from our landscapes. So it's a beautiful image of how our Christian foundations are as real as as, as the, the centuries-old churches that yes. exist. And uh, and it the visit marked the 30th anniversary of the establishment of full diplomatic relations between um, the Holy See and Great Britain. And uh, that relationship seems to be really at a, at a high point ever since the Pope's trip. Visit. Exactly. Yeah. Well, very good. Thank you very much. Chris, Chris Dimitrenko, our Salt and Light Radio news producer. A reminder, if you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, we'd love to get your messages. Send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org. I'm Jillian Cantor, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara-Man. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. If you're feeling discouraged about the secular media covering your event, stay tuned, because coming up is Danny Torquia with Media Ministry Minutes. But first, Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Pedro, another saint, yes. another week. Yes. All right. So let's begin. Um, we're going to talk about St. Peter Damien today. Okay. Peter Damien was first and foremost an orphan. And Pedro, he was treated very poorly by one of his brothers. On the other hand, Peter Damien, we know, was very good and compassionate towards the poor. Uh-huh. So in his life, St. Peter Damien was known to have people who were less fortunate around his, around his table. Mm-hmm. And he made a point of ministering to their needs on a very personal basis. Uh-huh. So Peter escaped poverty and the neglect of his own brother when his other brother, who was actually Archpriest of Ravenna, took him under his wing. So his brother sent him to good schools and Peter Damien later became a professor. In his life story, we know that Peter Damien was very strict, very disciplined with himself. Mm-hmm. He was known to wear a hair shirt under his clothes. He also fasted and he spent many hours in prayer. Pedro, one thing about uh, St. Peter Damien, um, he valued prayer so much in his life that he made the decision to leave teaching his career as a professor. Uh He gave himself completely to prayer with the Benedictines of St. Romuald at Fonte Avellana. Uh Peter Damien suffered from severe insomnia. (laughs) That's one thing I would not want. but he suffered from insomnia because right. he was always so eager to pray. Okay. He hardly ever slept as well. Um, when he was not praying, he studied the Bible. Mm-hmm. Great way to pass your time. The abbot of the monastery that Peter Damien was, uh, was living at, yeah. um, he told Peter that when he died, Peter Damien should succeed him. So okay. he wanted Peter to succeed him. In his time as abbot, uh, Peter Damien, he founded five other hermitages. And Peter Damien encouraged his brothers, those who were um, living with him, to live a life of prayer and solitude and wanted nothing more for himself. So the reign of Pope Stephen in the Catholic Church, he made Peter the Cardinal Bishop of Ostia. Okay. He worked hard to wipe out the buying of church offices and he encouraged his priests to live out a life of celibacy, um, to observe it. And he urged 
uh, clergy living in the diocese to live together and maintain scheduled prayer and religious observance. He actually wrote to one bishop complaining that the canons that were set down uh, when they were singing the psalms in the divine office. So he wanted to restore discipline among religious and priests and he warned against traveling, against violating poverty, and he didn't want them to be so sucked in by comfortable living. Right. There's more to the mission of the church than just comfortable living. Uh Peter Damien wrote many letters. He was known to have over 170. We also have 53 of his of his sermons um, and his biographies that he wrote. And um, he asked often to be allowed to retire as the Cardinal Bishop of Ostia that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And finally, Pope Alexander II consented. Peter was happy to become once again just a monk, just a regular monk. Um, But he was actually called to serve as a papal legate. Really? Yeah. When he returned from that assignment in Ravenna, uh, he had a fever. He came down with a huge fever. So when the monks gathered around him to, you know, pray the divine office, he died. And that death day was Tuesday, February the 21st, which we celebrate his, his memorial. In the year 1828, Peter Damien was declared a doctor of the church. Okay. So he oh. is a very significant role model for um, us in the church. I just want to leave you with a quote yeah. to close off our segment. Um, a quote that stands out about Peter Damien and his, and his life and his teaching. Let us faithfully transmit to posterity the example of virtue which we have received from our forefathers. Hmm. Very nice. Thank you very much. I didn't know anything about Peter Damien. I didn't even know that he was a doctor of the church. So there you go. Thank you very much. St. Peter Damien, feast day or memorial on February 21st. Um, thank you, Andrew Santos, our saint expert in about five minutes what's happening across our country so stay tuned hi i'm marcel dion and you're listening to salt and light radio my name is pedro you can find salt and light on facebook you can also follow us on twitter you can read our blog at saltandlighttv.org blog and now Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. Media, try saying that three times really fast. Media <laughs> Ministry Minutes. Yes. Danny, last time we were we were speaking about just in general the state of secular media, and I find that a, the the probably the biggest complaint that a church group or a pro life group might have is the secular media does not cover our events. Last time we talked about some big ideas. Let's get to some concrete do's and don'ts. What would you suggest to this group? The first thing is is uh, what we call in the business scanning, which means gaining intelligence on the, the media landscape. So you got to know which journalists, so I- these are human beings, right? So which person with a name and a last name okay. at which media outlets, so a radio program or a, a, you know, a cable okay. television network or a news program or a magazine, uh, might be susceptible to covering that topic or that beat, as they say in journalism, okay. that topic, good or bad. So if you you get you got to give that time, right? You got to scan for a few weeks, a few months, or a few hours at least, and then you have the knowledge of a list. You have one name of a journalist, okay. two, three, and amazing. It's amazing how that list grows. Okay, and it's much better 
to have a, a finite small list but of solid leads. So just for example, yeah. it means that I have to, when I'm driving, to turn on the radio, listen to that particular radio station, listen to such and such a show, the host, find out who the producer is, if I uh, get a sense that maybe they're they're open to this so that I have a name and then uh, then do I write to them? Do I call them? Do I send well, them? What's the right expression from the Bible? You, we want to, from the Bible, we want to be in the world but not of, of the, the world. world. Yes. So you got to be in the world, in meaning consume and L listen to the media. Reading the newspapers. Yeah. You can't just be angry at the no. National Post and not read it. You have to read it. You have to be in there and read it. Yes. Exactly. And then um, the most important thing is not to arbitrarily send them everything you've got because then that's an information overload. Instead, send them journalistically written facts. And journalistically written facts means take the emotion out of things and just write uh, in a very objective manner some facts in a short way. You can do that by phone as long as it's short and factual based with uh, with not too much emotion and you can do it in a written way by email and then repeat it over and over but some people might make the mistake of including the journalists right away in their email lists where they, they send them a two-page email newsletter like they do to all their donors or all their constituents right, which is not it's not the right way to do so it you want to address something that it's specific to that journalist specific to that event or that uh, issue yeah and specific to media so you got to write to media in a way that is I, uh, strictly isolated for media, for journalists. Okay, and I, I hate to use this as the mm. example, but I find that a lot of uh, uh, pro-life groups fall into this because it's such an emotionally charged uh, issue. So they, they, you know, everything they write, or a lot of times I find that, that they'll write things and, and, and there, there's an anger there or a bitterness there or, or some hurt or, or something that is just emotionally charged so we have to be able to write it objectively is it better to just get someone else who's outside of the issue to write it well it's good to know journalism and public relations so yes uh, if you if you don't know it you don't need to hire someone or get someone maybe learn uh -huh. but um, we can't change the state of journalism proper we have to work within their game so that mm -hmm. means work knowing that what they need and that's short snippets short sound bites we can't go into lengthy uh, and lengthy thesis won't work uh, a very, very short piece of information is how they work, whether it's sound bites, audio bites, uh, you know, or TV clips. Does it mean that we have to get creative as to, even if it means spinning the story, because maybe they don't care that it's the largest annual march in Ottawa, but maybe they care that somebody is present or that this guest is present or that there's a, what's the spin that might be interesting this year? The most important thing I have for that is to have four or five different angles okay. in, your s in your pocket. Okay. Because you might think the main issue is this, the people are co showing up for this annual march, it's the biggest. But the journalists might say, I just covered something like that, I'm not going to cover it again, my editor's going to get me in trouble. Yeah. So you've got to be ready to have four or five secondary article, uh, article ideas or angles, right. as we call it in the business, and be prepared to go there. So it's that's very important, and I call it doing doing the dance with a journalist. Uh -huh. You call them, but you've got to have several moves and be ready for a, a change of course, and they might not like your top story angle. Okay, no, this is very useful. Um, we have to leave it there, but I want to continue this conversation. So next time when you're here next month, we'll continue this because I uh, uh, I have more questions. Okay, I'm sure our listeners do too. So thank you very much, Daniel Torquia. He's a director of marketing and development for Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. And as you hear, he is a public relations genius. Hi, I'm Chris Dimitrenko, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. You can podcast our show at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. You can also subscribe to it on iTunes. 
And here now is Sheridan with our diocesan update. Hello, hello. So today I'd like to bring your attention to two conferences related to youth ministry. Right. Firstly, there's the National Conference for All Youth Involved in Music Ministry. Uh-huh. And that's uh, called the Massive Worship Conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's hosted by Net Ministries of Canada. The theme for this year is called um, Awake My Soul. Okay. And that's going to be the weekend of March 30th to April 1st. So that's mm-hmm. coming up. So you want to you wanna get involved in this. And this year is significant because it's the first time they're bringing this amazing conference to Western Canada. Mm-hmm. And the conference will be held at St. James Parish in Okotoks. So that's just south of Calgary in Alberta. And, and once again, so that's going to be Friday through Sunday, March 30th through eight, uh, to April 1st. And this is just such a great opportunity to get ideas, get inspired, make new friends, and uh, you know, work with other worship leaders in w- at the local and national youth ministry levels. So just a fantastic opportunity. And the Holy Father declared next year the, the year of, well, the year of faith. Mm, yes. So what uh, better way to kick off the year of faith than uh, stepping out on the right foot and getting your music ministry together? Absolutely. If I can say, if you are involved in music ministry and you can make it to Calgary or around there, Okotoks, this is the national music ministers conference for this country in Canada so kudos to Net Ministries for starting it they started it in like 2005 or so I've been involved with it a few times so uh, massive worship March 30th to April 1st yeah and you know they've also got their road schedule posted so I mean these guys are always on the road Um, you can check out their road schedule it's on their their website Mm -hmm. that's massiveworship.com and they also have a blog so you can keep up with what's uh, what's going on in that way as well Great. and then there's also the National Youth Ministry Conference the weekend of March the 9th through to the 11th at the Delta Ottawa City Centre and the theme for this conference um, this year's conference is Be Still and Know That I Am God mm-hmm. and this conference happens every two years and it's a, it's a training conference for everyone involved in, in youth ministry uh-huh. and there will be three main talks one by Archbishop Prendergast Archbishop Durocher and Archbishop Smith so you've got some wow. real heavy hitters in there yeah. and uh, this conference will be bilingual so they'll also have uh, breakout sessions and some workshops include for example Virtuous Leadership, Defending the Faith 101, Mm -hmm. How to Live a Life of Integrity, and even one about parish politics. So, I mean, that's that's something all of us have to deal with at some point, especially if you're very involved in in youth ministry. So, uh, to register, visit Be Still, so that's B-E-S-T-I-L-L dot C-A, bestill.ca, and that's all for this week. God bless. Yeah, thank you very much. So, again, that's if you're involved in youth ministry at all, parish level or anything to do with youth ministry this is the national youth ministry conference is going to be in ottawa this year on march 9th or the, week, the, the weekend of march yeah. 9th so that's be still.ca thank you sheridan um coming up in our second half hour comedy and spirituality holy humor laughter in the church where father james martin makes it all make sense and we're also going to be speaking with andrew peloso of fx of grace so stick around
Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio Part 2. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann. Now, did Jesus have a sense of humor? Does our faith call us to be serious? Do saints encourage us to laugh more? These are some of the questions that Father James Martin addresses in his new book, Between Heaven and Mirth. And to tell us all about it, Father Jim joins us now on the phone from his office at American Magazine in New York. Father Jim, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thank you. My pleasure to be with you. So why are you so concerned with joy, humor, and laughter from a spiritual point of view? Why write a whole book about it? Well, I think to remind people that faith leads to joy. Too often we tend to think that being religious means being deadly serious all the time. But as I say in the book, you know, if you're deadly serious, you're probably seriously dead. <laughs> I also think we have a, a misunderstanding of Jesus and the saints as being gloomy and dour and depressed all the time, when in fact, uh, you know, a lot of Jesus' life was about joy. And, you know, the saints were very joyful people, if you read their uh, real-life stories. So just right. to remind people that uh, joy is an important part of the spiritual life. Right. Okay, so is there a historical reason why people who are quote-unquote religious are serious? You know, you're not supposed to laugh in church or, you know, a homily, you preach a homily and you're so serious that we have to be, you know, all sour-faced? Well, I would think that there are a couple uh, cultural reasons and social reasons, but, uh, you know, in my book I point to a, something of a misunderstanding of, of who Jesus was. Uh, the Gospel writers, when they were trying to explain the story of Jesus for the, uh, you know, early Christians, spent a lot of time on the passion narrative, you know, right. the story of Jesus' um, suffering and crucifixion, yeah. and ultimate resurrection, of course. Uh, because for the people of the time, it was very difficult for them to understand why the Son of God would have to die in such a shameful way. Mm -hmm. As a result, uh, I think parts of those stories um, overwhelmed the other part of the Gospel story, which was Jesus being joyful, you know, Jesus doing... Uh, lighthearted things and being with the disciples and healing people and spending time at people's homes. And so I think we've gotten kind of a, a wrong-headed notion that being a real Christian means being like Jesus, who was, of course, very serious. But I, I want to sort of balance that out a little bit. Right. So you would go as far as saying that Jesus had a sense of humor? Well, absolutely. Uh, and how do we know that? Well, first of all, he was fully human. I mean, that's a fundamental mm. Christian belief. And anyone who is fully human has a sense of humor. That's, that's part of being an emotionally healthy person. And second of all, there are um, uh, clues in the Gospels, uh, you know, the parables he told, which sometimes used ridiculous and over-the-top images. Uh, and even, um, you know, Scripture scholars point to uh, his giving people of uh, nicknames, for example. Uh, right. Or, for example, the story of Nathaniel, who makes fun of Nazareth, and Jesus thinks that that's just great. So there are a right. lot of clues of Jesus' sense of humor if we look carefully enough. Right, and again, it might just be in the interpretation. You watch a movie and the parables are all very serious, but maybe we should interpret them differently. Um, as in sacred art, I don't think I've ever seen a stained glass window of a saint who's not serious. Well, that's right, and that's really sad, because, um, you know, you read the lives of the saints. I point out stories in my book of uh, saints who had great senses of humor, and that were not just happy, but had great senses of humor. Uh, and, and portraiture and mosaics and statues always show the saints serious. And so, yeah. you know, if we understand Jesus as a totally 100% serious guy all the time, and if we understand the saints as the, the uh, models par excellence of Christian discipleship, and they were always serious, well then, to answer your original question, you know, we think that, well, therefore, you know, real Christians have to be super serious mm -hmm. all the time, and that's, that's just 
uh, not helpful. No, it isn't. Now, I, I get the idea that God wants us to be full of joy. I mean, the, the uh, heaven and joy kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that sometimes people might get stuck with the whole humor or comedy or even you, as what you call excessive levity. I, isn't that taking it a little too far or is that not too trivial? Or are you actually talking about Well, I think uh, it's a question of balance. So the book of Ecclesiastes says there's a time to laugh and a time to mourn. So obviously, you know, I'm not saying you have to be uh, jumping up and down happy 24-7, you know, 365 days a year. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are times that when sadness is is an emotionally healthy response to tragedy or sickness or or, misfortune, obviously, and, and Jesus was sad, you know, to death death of his friend Lazarus, and, and the saints had sad parts of their lives. But that's not the whole story. And I think we tend to say that, uh, you know, that's the most important part of the story, or that's the only part of the story, when really the fundamental message, I think, of Christianity is that Christ has risen, and that is good news. Mm-hmm. And I, if you think of us living in an Easter time, which we are, because Christ is risen, right. uh, you know, you can imagine the disciples very happy, I would hope, <laughs> at yeah, the very least, exactly. on Easter Sunday morning. So I think we have to really... Um, uh, try to grab onto that Easter joy. Right. Now, in the book, one of the chapters, you, you, you give us 11 and a half serious reasons for good humor. Um, what, are, what are some of them? Do you want to share some with us? Yeah, well, just very briefly, uh, the first one is that humor evangelizes. Joy, humor, and laughter show your faith in God. Uh-huh. Um, and essentially, positive outlook shows people that you believe in the resurrection. Um, and it also attracts people to, to Christianity. Another reason is that humor can be used to um, remind ourselves of our limitations. In other words, laughing at yourself can be good, can be healthy, if it's not done in a kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of unhealthy way. But, um, right. you know, it reminds us that we're not the center of the universe. Uh-huh. Um, and then finally, I talk about um, uh, humor as something that's healing, uh, you know, for the physical body. When you laugh, you, you heal the body. But, but there are a lot of spiritual reasons for, for joy, humor, and laughter as, as tools for evangelization as tools for humility, as ways of speaking truth to power, uh, and as simply of getting perspective on life. I think a lot of the saints had good senses of humor um, because they had perspective. Uh, St. Philip Neri used to go around Rome in the 16th century with half of his beard shaved off, you know, walking around Rome kind of as a way of uh, getting people to poke fun at him because they would put him on a pedestal. So right. I think there's so many ways of looking at humor I try to talk about in the book uh, as a spiritual tool that, that are often overlooked. So uh, humor then is, if we're to be real three-dimensional human beings, humor has to be part of our life because humor is part of humanity, basically. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's a gift from God. I think, now, there's good humor and there's bad humor. Good humor yeah. is humor that builds up. If you and I shared a joke that would make us both laugh about ourselves or yeah. sort of lighten the load a little bit, um, that's terrific. Um, but there's also bad humor. There's making fun of people and right. putting people down and... Uh, and there's good laughter and bad laughter. So I think we have to be discerning. But I guess the point uh, of the book is is that for too long we have excluded uh, humor and laughter uh, from religious circles and from sort of serious consideration of the parts that they play. And I think that we tend to forget that uh, that Christianity is fundamentally a joyful religion. I mean, you know, I always say that it is a celebration of the Mass, after all. Right. Um, but uh, sometimes it's hard to tell. <laughs> it is. And I'm just as guilty of that as any other priest. No, it's true, it's true. And unless there's a joke in the homily, that's a, the only time when we're allowed to laugh. Well, and you know, I, I often suggest to people and priests, you know, who ask me, there are plenty of times where you can smile. I mean, at the yes. beginning where you say, the Lord be with you, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're proclaiming the gospel, it's a joyful thing. I mean, obviously there are parts in the Mass you don't want to laugh at the consecration or no. when you're talking about Jesus' uh, suffering. Uh, but there, there are plenty of places where you can smile, uh, because it is, in fact, a celebration, and it is a celebration of Christ among us, which is good news, and the good news should put a smile on your face. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's uh, it's a great, great read if anybody is interested between heaven and mirth. It's great advice, lots, certainly lots of material for, for us to think about. Uh, so thank you very much, Father Jim, for, uh, oh, for writing the book and for, sharing, for having me on. sharing the ideas with us. Um, Father Jim Martin, he's a Jesuit priest. He's culture editor of America Magazine. He's also the best-selling author of The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything and My Life with the Saints. This book, Between Heaven and Mirth, is published by HarperCollins. You can find it at any local bookstore and also online through Amazon.com. Once again, Father Jim Martin, thank you very much. Thank you. Here now is our featured band of the week, Effects of Grace, with their song, Wake Up.
That was Effects of Grace with Wake Up from their new album, Life in Color. In August 2010, I was in Calgary for the Unity Awards, and I had a chance to meet a group of young men. They had a Catholic band. It was a local group from Calgary, and they called themselves Majesty. But they were looking for a new name. The group was very much in their early stages. When I met them, they've been together, I think, just over a year. But now, it's been almost three years, and they found a new name, Effects of Grace, and they also have a new album, Life in Color. So it's very exciting to be featuring them this week on Salt and Light Radio, and I'm now joined on the phone by lead singer of Effects of Grace, Andrew Peloso. Andrew, welcome back to Salt and Light Radio. Hey, thanks a lot, Pedro. So I, I hope I got all that right, and I didn't embarrass you with majesty. No, that was perfect. Um, so when I first met you, um, you guys, f- correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, y- you guys weren't just like a little band. Because y- it seemed that you guys were also really into doing ministry and leading worship events. Uh, is that still kind of the focus of what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. That's totally what we're about. We're about um, using music and um, our original creations to kind of teach people of um, different different areas and different ages, um, wherever we feel, wherever God calls us to go, and just kind of spreading, spreading the good news through music and praise. That's, uh, that's what we're all about. So why? Why do you do You're what, 18 years old? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 17. I'm turning 18 in July. So why, do, why, why is an 18-year-old guy want to preach the good word? Uh, well, it, I think it just, it, uh, it just reflects from my personal relationship with uh, Jesus Christ and uh, I, I I don't know. Yeah, I think when when you have the, the passion to um, share God's good news um, that's impacted your life so heavily, mm-hmm. it's just an amazing thing to be able to reach out and to hopefully um, send a positive message um, to to other people as well. So, so how did the group start? Because you guys were all friends. I know that. So it's you and your brother Nicholas, mm-hmm. and then you have two other brothers, Dylan and Daxon Jones. Yep. Right, and then Ashton Sequeira. Sequera, right. yeah, Sequera. For sure. Um, so you guys were all friends before. How did this band start? Yeah, we were all friends, and we went to um, the same local parish, St. James Church. And um, what happened is um, Daxon and Dylan's uh, Jones's mom, Karen uh-huh. Jones, approached me and Nicholas, and uh, was just kind of um, passing up the idea if we would like to start, you know, kind of a youth ministry band within our own church, and it would be a great. Um, help out for the youth group and uh so we all decided to give it a shot and we went to practice and initially we we were all kind of searching and we're maybe not as into it as as we are now uh-huh. and uh one thing led to the next and we kept uh practicing and um and developing as musicians but i think where it really took off was when we had you know played some cover songs um so that we could play them at uh, a youth concert Mm-hmm. And after that, we all decided, hey, you know, it'd be really fun if we could write our own original music. And right. I think that's where all the creativity and the life really um, uh, came for, for the band. So it was a great experience. And yeah, here we are now. So, and I, I, I mean, I, again, it's been three years. You guys seem to be doing very well. So how does, how does the collaboration work? Do you have like, I know that you write some of the songs, but is it mostly you or do you have a good collaboration? How do you, how do you come up with... 10 songs for an album? 
Um, well, what we did is we're, we're all very musical, and we all like to write music, um, either whether it's instruments. I'm a little bit more of a, a lyricist. Um, mm-hmm. I also um, um, do some instrumental writing as well. But I think we, we all come together at band practice, and we have some new ideas. And then we just jam. We just have fun and right. uh, play, play music until we think we have something that could be a potential good song, and then we, we run with it. So, yeah, our... our our um, writing style has went farther away from individual writing and more towards a collaborative writing environment because I think it just leads to great ideas if everybody can um, can share their knowledge. So now, do you play at church? Do you play at a mass, or is that not part of what you do? Um, it's not uh, part of what we do as our band. Uh, I know individually, some of us. Uh, play at the St. James Mass on right. Sunday. Okay. Uh, I know myself, Nicholas, um, Daxon, and Dylan last year um, played in our school mass band. So when our right. school uh, goes to mass, we'll play music there. But together as Effects of Grace, we are more a concert and youth rally um, and conference-based group. Okay, I have to ask you, because uh, you probably don't remember, when I met you in Calgary, you said that you wrote your first song when you were in grade two. And yes, that, I and, did. And that it was a Christian song and that you were still trying to see if you could figure out how to make it work <laughs> and <laughs> add a dance beat to it or something. So I just have to ask you, it's not one of the ones in the album, is it? Uh, it is not one <laughs> of the ones on the album, although we did have uh, this discussion and we tried to, tried to make it work out. But, you know, it, just, uh, it didn't get picked as the top ten. It was, uh, <laughs> but definitely it has a lot, of, um, a lot of value to myself personally just because it, it, it's neat when you... Uh, are able to go and look back at you know what you created so long ago, That's and uh, I think there is definitely some room. We might be bringing it back into the live concert set list. You never know. That's so. funny. So <laughs> you're you're still in high school? Yes, I'm still in high school. I'm in my last semester of grade twelve. But uh, some of you, there's a couple of you that are in university. I know. I think. Um, Dylan Jones, he is in his first year of neuroscience at oh, the University geez. of Calgary. Neuroscience. That's yes, good. neuroscience. Wow. The guy is very brilliant. Way <laughs> to break up the band. Um, <laughs> so, so you guys are all, all, all young. What, what's next? I mean, obviously you have more songs. Are you thinking about another album? Do you want to, d- d- uh, what do you see f- in the future of Effects of Grace? Um, uh, again, I, th- I think it's going to all come down to um, the biggest question of where is God calling us on our uh, personal journeys. Um, I know we're, we're very young and we're just uh, um, developing and starting to uh, see the world through a different lens. Um, but yeah. I know as, as a band, our hope is that if God calls us and enables us to be together, is to continue to touch people and write music. And uh, yeah, definitely a hope of ours is to be able to record a second album because we um, just in you know that album that uh, uh, is on the radio now yeah. um, is is from you know a year a year and a half ago um, the music that we wrote and uh, the music that we write now um, is is always changing and um, it's just maturing as we um, look at new facets for to to use our music for and. Um, yeah, it's it's really exciting to see where God will lead us. But hopefully, um, in some years, um, when some years pass, it would be nice to still be together and still creating music. For yeah, sure. it would be. It's uh, uh, it, it's kind of hard when you're growing up and people might end up having different opportunities for university. You're not all gonna stay in Calgary. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're right. You need to kind of trust the Lord. Tell me about the work that you've been doing with All Access Ministries. 
with All Access Ministries, a good friend of mine, Michael, he just really took us under his wing and has been helping us and allowing us to play at venues that we never thought uh, were possible to play at, especially um, just with our age. But he just... uh, he he saw something in us, and he decided to invest his time and his effort to to help us out, and he's been such a blessing. Um, it originally our relationship re- originally um, started off is my uh, my dad was actually meeting with him. I I don't know what it, what it was for, but right. they decided to pick me up from school at lunchtime and just grab a Tim Hortons coffee, and uh, that Tim Hortons coffee turned into uh, just talking, and I shared my story and uh uh what i feel is my call to to do ministry through music and Mm. um michael was very drawn in by that and he just i think he really just wanted to help us and see us develop and uh since then that was about a a year or so ago um we've been doing a lot of uh collaborative events with all access ministries from youth rallies and uh we also got a chance to um, play at One Rock, the One Rock Festival okay. in in Calgary for the Diocese of Calgary, and that was uh, all through the help of Michael. And what a blessing he's been! Yeah, excellent. So he's he's All Access Ministry. They do events and and mm-hmm. youth conferences and that kind of stuff. Yeah, his whole goal is to uh, help people people discover their place in Christ, and he's just uh, an amazing speaker and a real great guy. Yeah, good. Now, we've been listening to, we've already heard two of your songs, Amazing and Wake Up, and we're going to close off with Time Machine. But I wanted to ask you, you the title of the album, Life in Color, why, why did you go with that title? What's the significance? That title, we were all sitting together, um, I guess, mid-July around a campfire, and we were just relaxing and trying to discuss uh, some names that we should call the album. And we all kind of decided that Life in Color would be a great name for the album because we're trying to show that through Jesus Christ, um, you know, our lives really do come to life. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they're brighter, and we're able to see, um, you know, the silver lining in a lot of life's experiences, and we're able to um, place our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, and I think that really was an expression of, of how we felt. And also, Life in Color, our music... Um, uh, especially for this album, was very geared towards being uplifting. And uh, we just thought that, uh, you know, God, uh, if we were to look at it um, uh, symbolically, God is really the color that, um, and he paints the canvas on yeah. our lives. So that, no. that's where it came from. It's a great image. I, I love the idea of, of, of if you don't have God in your life, you're living in black and white. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, neat, a neat concept. Anyway, Andrew, it's been great to talk to you. Um, you guys are doing great work. Keep keep it up. I'm looking forward to the next album and uh, looking you. forward to playing your music more. Awesome. So that was Andrew Peloso. He's the lead singer and one-fifth of Effects of Grace. You can find out more about them at their website, FX of Grace. That's the letter FX, then ofgrace.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. But you can also look them up on Facebook. They're on YouTube. They're on MySpace. They're, they're everywhere. So look them up. FX, the two letters, FX of Grace. And here now they are with their song Time Machine from their album Life in Color. share a problem so always weigh me down 
questions that I just can't explain Answers that can't be found I feel love but I can't hold it It's way over my head Sometimes life takes a little faith There's things I don't understand So I'll hold on to you The one that stays true listening to Effects of Grace with Time Machine from their album Life in Color. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Radio programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where we post links to our artists or guests. You can learn all about Salt and Light and all that we do at saltandlighttv.org. And you can also follow us closely by going to Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. We cannot do our work without your support. And thank you for listening. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this has been Salt and Light Radio.